It's Palm Sunday. It's a pretty exciting time as we lead into Easter. And um, we do not have a Good Friday service. Some churches do. Um, but this year we do not have one of those. So I thought it would be appropriate to not just talk about Jesus coming into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, them throwing blankets and palm branches down and waving them before him. The problem with talking just about that is that all we're talking about when it comes to Palm Sunday is not just his triumphant entry, but we're talking about people and their misunderstanding. They really thought that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman government. They really were welcoming him. His disciples even were confused at certain moments, and they were arguing about when this hell goes down, Jesus, who's going to be on your right hand? And they even got their mom involved in the argument. They were misunderstanding the information that they had received. So Palm Sunday, as we lead into the week of Jesus's passion, the details of his death, it's really important that we not jump to the resurrection, but that we think about the cross. So Jesus at this point is finishing three years of ministry and it's now grinding to a halt. The passage that we'll read today, different passages within the same chapter of Mark, we're going to talk through the details and it's going to be a a little bit unique today because I have plenty of scripture to read and I'm going to narrate for you and expect you to fully grasp the depth of God's love for you as we read through what Jesus went through. But religious leaders had now come to the place where they had decided to arrest Jesus and to execute him. He's coming to Jerusalem. The part that we will read today talks about his death, but I kind of give you just a little bit of context to lead up to that, that he's coming into Jerusalem for a reason. He's coming there because he is celebrating a Jewish feast called Passover or unleavened bread. This Passover feast that they were celebrating was a commemorance of God's deliverance of the people out of Egypt. God has a plan in everything he does. Nothing he does is without intention and nothing he does is by accident. Can I get an amen? So thousands of years have passed, or at least a thousand, since those days of the actual Passover. And Jesus is now commemorating this with his disciples. That meal that he shared, that we will share tonight, was during that feast of Passover. But this Passover will be a first and only of its kind. The kind that we'll read about that Jesus went through. He's been betrayed by someone in his inner circle. Have you ever been betrayed by someone? Can you be honest in church? I've been betrayed by someone. Jesus was betrayed by someone in his inner circle. And now he's going through a sham trial between the religious leaders of his own nation and people, but also those who are governing them from a different nation. The sentence has been handed down. It's death by crucifixion, which is a gruesome and terrible Way to die. So, as Easter approaches this next Sunday, it's important for us to really think through the uh, the the imagery 
of what took place on the cross. Today, the message that I want to share with you is what the cross has accomplished. Or ask the question, what has the cross accomplished? An empty tomb holds no significance without the cross of Christ. We need to understand everything that God does, he does with intentionality. Amen? The cross is the altar that God chose to sacrifice his son on. And what it's accomplished for you and for me is important because what it truly has become is the cornerstone of our faith. It's the rock on which we stand. It's that sacrifice that we hold so dear. In fact, in John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, you're probably familiar with these verses. But let me remind you of the context. Jesus is speaking to his friend, Nicodemus. And he says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I want you to get that this morning. God sent his son to a world that had already been condemned and he sent him in order to save them and to rescue them, to save you and to rescue you. Go with me to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, and we'll read a majority of this chapter this morning. But we'll start in verse 16. I want to encourage you, and we do this often. Read your Bible. Okay? Know your Bible. Know the Word of God. And specifically around something as important to us as Easter. Spend extra time this week. Read through the stories that the gospel lays out in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about Jesus' death and his resurrection. Read through them. You say, well, why did they have different details? Because they were written by different people who remembered different things. How many of you have ever had a conversation with your spouse about details of something and they remembered it differently? Wink, wink, okay? So... Each one of the Gospels has the story in it in different details that are shared. But today I'm going to be in Mark chapter 15. Look at what it says in verse 16. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace. That is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. This would symbolize royalty. And twisted together a crown of thorns that they put on him. They began to mock him and salute him and say, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And then they led him out to crucify him. Not only was a crown of thorns placed, but it was beaten with a reed, with a staff or a stick into his head. 
It's gruesome torture. The most evil of kinds that Jesus endured in these moments. And he did it for me. He did it for you and for me. And we are not to be selfish, but to share this good news with those that we know and those that we love. Jump down to verse 22. It says, They brought him to the place that's called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine that had been mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. The significance of people gambling to take home a souvenir from our Savior's back is something worth really, really thinking about. The weight of that. And you think, how could they have been so wicked and so evil? We all are without the grace of God and the love of God. So they've divided his garments and they've casted lots. In verse 25, it says this. It was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read this declaration. The king of the Jews. Verse 31 says this, So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another. And they said things like this, He saved others, he cannot even save himself. Let Christ, let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. So to add Injury, more injury to the pain and the punishment that he's suffering. He's being not only beaten and hurt and physically abused, but now mentally in anguish and having been betrayed and sold out for 30 pieces of silver, now in this moment being mocked and then those who were hanging on crosses beside him also reviled him. Verse 33 and 34 say, When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I shared some truth about that statement last Sunday. I had the duty this week of performing a funeral for a family who had lost a baby very late in pregnancy. The baby died somewhere around the 30-week mark. And dealing with a grieving family at a graveside and trying to comfort them, I shared these words of Jesus. We may never understand the answer or know the answer to the question of why. In this life, we may never understand. But what I encouraged them to do was to think about the question of what do I do now? The question of why may haunt you 
And the thing that blesses me is to know that God did not speak audibly and it's not recorded that he answered Jesus. Jesus' question in that moment, his, his anguish at a climax, declared and spoke out, God, why are you leaving me? And I, I don't want to jump too far ahead in my message. But God forsook him so that he could keep his promise to you that I will never leave you or forsake you. What a powerful thought. Jumping down to verse 37, it says this, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and he breathed his last breath. My wife shared this in worship today and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. I don't know if you know anything about geography, but Israel is not prone to earthquakes. It's not an area that has too many of them. And so this would have been a marvelous act of God that the ground and the earth would have shaken and then there would have been this disaster inside of the temple where the curtain that protected the holiest of holies was torn into symbolizing for you and for me that we now can go in that each one we don't have to wait for a priest to do it for us amen it was torn from the top to the bottom i like that i like the definition that we find in scripture or the detail we find there it wasn't a peephole that was created for you to just gaze in at the glory of god but it was ripped in half so that you and i could enter in The book of Hebrews says that we could come boldly into the throne room and find grace and mercy in our time of need. Verse 39, and when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Historically speaking, Jesus was a real person. There are details and data outside of scripture that prove his existence. There's even details and data that show crucifixion and resurrection. In this moment, the proof that that one centurion needed was he witnessed the spirit of God leaving the body of Jesus as he breathed his last and he said, surely this man was the son of God. So the question really is, what has the cross accomplished? And the answer is many things. I could preach message after message. Volumes have been written. Books have been written. I have some Bible software. It has hundreds of books inside of it, all about the details that we find in scripture. But today I want to give you three distinct things that I believe the cross has accomplished, and they're based on the words of Jesus himself, the statements that he makes from the cross. Not every one of them, but just three of them. And the first is this, total forgiveness. Can somebody say amen? Amen. The Bible says that in Luke chapter 23, Jesus actually prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even in the midst of what he was facing, he was dealing with the forgiveness aspect. I believe that the church itself around the world, not just America, but the church is plagued 
with bitter Christians who are walking in unforgiveness. I'm not a doctor, but I'm telling you, there are physical ailments and physical demonstrations of bitterness. It manifests itself in many different ways in the life of believers. It destroys families. It destroys churches. It destroys marriages. So don't hold on to bitterness. Amen? Jesus didn't. He could have. He probably knows and knew before even the day that they were born the name of the men, the names of the men who were going to not only just betray him, but beat him and crucify him. He knew the details of that. God knows all of those details, and yet Jesus prayed to the Father, Father, forgive them. So total forgiveness was accomplished for us. And I want to make sure that you understand this. When we talk about forgiveness, we're meaning this phrase, the removal of guilt. When I talk about bitterness, you can say, oh yeah, it's over and it's done. And that was five years ago. I've moved on. But have you forgiven? Because forgiveness actually means to remove the guilt. And just to be clear, it's not removing the feelings of guilt. It's you are in a courtroom and you have been declared, the verdict has has been decided that you are guilty and now that has been taken away from you. This is amazing that total forgiveness was provided to us. We've been justified, amen? And uh, another preacher said it this way, Justified means just if I'd never sinned. I've been made right with God because of what the cross has accomplished, what Jesus on the cross has accomplished. And he didn't do it halfway. Amen? He did it fully. And as we said last week, once for all. Amen? The second thing that the cross has accomplished is something maybe strange to think about, but immediate paradise. This was something that they did not understand or have much thought about the afterlife back in those days. They thought you kind of just roamed around and waited until God called your name or number, that you went to a different place that wasn't heaven. But I hear the words of Jesus on the cross to the thief who declares belief in him, and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. It was revolutionary to think like that, to understand the significance of what Paul writes to the church at Corinth in the second book of Corinthians. And he says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That means when I close my eyes here, I'll open them there. I'm immediately into the kingdom of God. And this was afforded to you because of the cross. I love this thought about the thief who he told, today you'll be with me in paradise. And I had this thought this week as I prayed and developed this message that his penalty had been reversed and he had been offered a reward. That's the same thing with you and I. 
And the third thing is this, never forsaken. Matthew 27, Jesus says these words, I will never leave you or forsake you. And I really do believe that because he was forsaken, we will never be forsaken. He took all of the weight of all of the sin, all the world's problems, all the individual grief and pain and even sickness that we would have in this life. And he bore it on himself on that cross. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 37. He says this, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. Your pastor has been to a food pantry before to be a recipient, not just to serve in one. But even in that moment, I've never found myself begging for bread. This is incredible when you think about the fact that God declares that he will never forsake you. There may be times where you feel that you've been forsaken But the Bible tells us that we're made righteous by God's grace and not by our works. Amen? So I have a guarantee that I can't mess this up. This is awesome that God is going to hold true to his word. It's fitting, I think, that we close the service today by observing the Lord's Supper. We have COVID-proof communion. Amen? Amen. If you've never had this before, you'll have it today. You're like, how is he doing this magic trick? They are sealed cups with a sealed wafer no one has touched or breathed on. And uh, we want to take communion today. We want to observe the Lord's supper, thinking about what he suffered and what he did on your behalf And the further question really is this, am I living a life in honor of his sacrifice? Does my life measure up? Have I built my life on him? Have I given up and become lazy and stopped building my life on him? Do I remember how to do that? Do I remember how to build my life on him? Today, when we take communion, I I want you to have a thankful and a hopeful heart. Because Jesus, when he shared that last supper with his disciples, he said, I will not eat this bread or drink this cup until we do it again together in the kingdom. So Jesus is still fasting these days. He's, He's still interceding for you these days. Amen? Worship team, would you come and join us? Luke chapter 22, verse 14 to 20. I want to read you specifically the words of Jesus and the details of that night that he had his last supper. It says in verse 14, when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I can't help but get emotional thinking about the fact that Jesus knew what he was about to endure and he did it anyway. 
It says in verse 16, I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. If you read into the end of the Bible, into the book of Revelation, you'll see there's going to be a great wedding feast one day where the bride and the groom will be united once for all. This will be the moment that Jesus takes that drink from the fruit of the vine. And I'm looking forward to being there. Verse 19 says this, and he took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said this, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, he said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Would you stand with me today? I'm gonna dismiss you as a section so that you can come and we don't get crowded up here. You can just take your communion, walk to the back and go back to your seats. This first section, if you would like to, come on. You can come and take the communion elements and return to your seat. Remember, you don't have to be a member here, but you need to be a member in the church of God, the family of God. And as you see them leave the table, the next section, you can come. I want you to think about that this morning. What the cross has accomplished is significant. It's eternally significant. In fact, because of Christ, you've been rescued from the rule of darkness. The word of God declares that you've been redeemed from the power of sin. You've been forgiven of all of your sins. The Bible says that you've been transferred into the kingdom of God, grafted in. The Bible tells us through the Apostle Paul that you are now qualified to an eternal inheritance. Because of what Christ has done on the cross, you've been set free from every possible bondage. The Bible says that we once were dead in our sins, but we've been made alive again because of Jesus. You are now royalty and seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You've been saved by God's grace through faith, not of anything of your own doing. The Bible declares that you are created in Christ for good works and you've been now reconciled to God and reconciled even to others. The Bible declares that you are purified, that you're sanctified, that you're blessed beyond measure in every realm of your life because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross. In fact, biblically speaking, the Bible says that you've been chosen you are accepted. You are not rejected. You have always been the object of his love, his kindness, his grace, his power, his faithfulness.
Let these words sink into you today. You're the object of his peace, his encouragement, and his prayers. You've been sealed. You've been called, even if you're not a pastor, you've been called a child of God. You've received grace you didn't deserve. You've been healed physically, mentally, spiritually. You are favored. You are well supplied in every area of your life. The Bible declares that because of Christ, you were once far off, but now you've been brought near. Think about the words of Jesus on the hillside as the disciples tried to get the children to back up and get away. And Jesus said, let them come to me. That's you. That's me. The Bible says we've been given access to the throne of grace. We've been adopted into the family of God. You are indwelt by the spirit of God because of what Christ has done. You've become a citizen of heaven. You, this is your temporary home. The Bible declares you are victorious and you will be victorious. That you've been made holy. You've been made righteous. You've been made complete. You've been made perfect because of what the cross accomplished. You've been given peace that passes understanding in the midst of whatever storm you face. The Bible says that because of what Jesus did, you no longer have to live in fear or condemnation, but that you are set free and that you live in the freedom that he provided. And I love this. It's all throughout scripture. You are precious in the eyes of God. Come on, let's thank him today. You can take the bread, take it into your fingers. Remember the details of what Jesus suffered as we take this most significant bread today. Lord, bless the bread that we take. We eat it often and we do so to remember all that you've done and accomplished for us. In the mighty name of Jesus, you may take of the bread. Lord, we pray a blessing on the cup. It's both sweet and a little bit sour. It represents your blood shed on Calvary's hill so long ago for the redemption of my sins and the sins of the world. In Isaiah chapter 53, your word declares at that point it was futuristic, but now we look back in the past and see that you bore our iniquity and the chastisement of our peace was upon you. And the word of God declared through Isaiah that by his stripes, we have been healed. Lord, bless this cup that we take today in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name, you may take the cup. The cross has accomplished many things. I must have rattled off 25 or 30 of them. And it's all because of this, because of the love that God showed towards us. In fact, it's because 
he is almighty. It's because you have an advocate with the Father through Jesus Christ. It's because the Ancient of Days stepped out of eternity and into time he created, into creation that he made in order to suffer for you. It's because he's the author and perfecter of our faith. The Bible says that Jesus is the bread of life, that he's now our brother. He's the captain of salvation, amen? That he's the chosen one and the cornerstone of our faith. That he is our mighty and strong deliverer. The Bible declares in Revelation that he's the first and he's the last. Everything in between, it's all us. He is literally the bookends of history. He's the good shepherd and our great high priest. The Bible says he's the holy one and he's your hope. He's the horn of our salvation and he's the heir of all things. I believe this with all my heart today and it's been on my heart all this week. Jesus is praying still today for you. The Bible declares that he's our intercessor. In fact, he gave us his Holy Spirit to help us pray when we don't even know how to pray and to communicate with him who is praying for you. The Bible declares that Jesus is our Emmanuel, which means God with us, that he's a just judge, that he's the king of all kings, that he's the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, slain before the foundation of the world began. God's plan has never failed and it won't fail now. He is the light of the world the Lord, the mediator of a covenant that you cannot keep. He's Messiah and our hope, our peace. He's our prophet, our priest. He's our great physician, the Bible says. He is our ransom. He is our redeemer. He's our rebuilder. He's our restorer. He's the rock of our salvation. He is the sacrifice. He is our salvation indeed. He's our security. He's our substitute. The Bible says that he's the son of God and the son of man. That he's supreme. I love those superlative words that are used. When we say God or Jesus is the best, that means there is no other. It's not the best of one kind. It's the best of all kinds. Amen? And he is supreme. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the door. He's the only way to the Father. He's the word of God in life or in flesh appearing. The Bible says he's the true vine and victorious one. He's a wonderful counselor. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for the counsel that you've given me in my life. I'm so sorry for the times I haven't obeyed and listened. But man, he's a never, never ending fount of wisdom for you and your life. And the Bible says this, he is the one who is, who was, and who is to come. We're so thankful You truly are one of a kind. Lord, you sent your son for us. 
Father, thank you for this indescribable gift. Words fail us in describing all the things that your son has meant to us. Lord, I thank you that you've reconciled us to you. With your eyes closed and your head bowed, you may be here today or you may be watching us online. And you've never experienced the grace and forgiveness of the King of all kings. If you say, Pastor, I need prayer. I want to be prayed for for that today. I want to receive Jesus into my life and commit my life to him. Would you slip up your hand? Just right now, in the privacy of this moment, no one else is looking around. We're not trying to figure out who it is. If you're home, you can raise your hand there as well. If there's anybody, today is the best day of salvation. And I'll say that any day that there is a moment where we are giving ourselves to God. But today, Palm Sunday would be a wonderful day to give your heart to the Lord. Last call, if there's anybody, believers who are here today, I want you this week and in this next moment of worship as we worship together, I want you to celebrate all that God has done. Jesus at the center of it Thank you.